Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm here with Father Boniface Hicks and my name is Joe Rocky. And going off of our last conversation about one of the topics I said I was going to bring up at the last second half of the podcast but didn't get to was the enemy of great is good. It's not bad or horrendous. It's good. Because that's what ends you kind of falling into this lull of, yeah, I'm not going around, I'm not lying to people, I'm not, you know, doing drugs, I'm not killing people, I'm not breaking any of the commandments. I'm kind of in this autopilot of life where where I'm alright. And, and when we did use that autopilot analogy in the last one. And, you know, that's obviously part of this podcast is to, to try to take us from that nine-year-old interpretation of what was good to kind of what does it call us for as adults. So with that being said, I was sitting there during this year's Holy Week kind of thinking of things a little bit different. I mean, part of which is, is was in preparation for this podcast, so I was kind of getting my mind charged up trying to think about what's going to be going on here. And a bunch of random thoughts came into my head over the course of uh, of the week. And... Um, and I'm just going to pretty much use this podcast to spitball them. It might not have the greatest flow to it, but uh, but you can tell me where I'm right and wrong and completely off base with all that. So um, so the first one actually goes to on Holy Thursday, and I don't know if every church does this, but we have a procession of the 12 apostles that comes down with the priest. Um, and one of my thoughts was, and this this court this this comes up was he had twelve basically best friends, and I thought I was like, I don't know anyone who has twelve best friends. Everyone just hangs out like really like three to four people groups, and you know that's that by itself is something. And you know, in in my world, you have that problem come up whenever you're figuring out who you're putting in your fantasy football league because you need to get twelve people, but it's because no one hangs out with with twelve people regularly. And that was just the thought that I had that, you know, that's something special by itself that pretty much until that thought on Thursday, I completely took for granted. Um, and I don't know if there's any, if, I, if I'm looking too deep into this or, or what, but that was a thought that came into my mind. Well, he, that's uh, a great insight. And those are the kinds of insights, Joe, that, that are, yeah, a sign of the Holy Spirit at work. You know, you're not you're not on autopilot, and that's a great that's a great example. You weren't trying to lift yourself up as the example of not being on autopilot, but I want to lift you up that way, that that you're not on autopilot, uh, and you're and you're engaging in, in a new way, and you're making the connections with your own life. That uh, let's okay. So we 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 hardly ever use this word disciple or apostle, or they have a kind of churchy feel to them, and we use them as technical language, but the word friend we use. So instead of looking at 12 apostles, you look at 12 friends and say, 12 friends? Well, that's a lot of friends. He hangs out with all these, these 12 friends. So anyway, I just want to highlight that. I think that's really beautiful. And so I don't want to take anything away from that meditation. I think it's a, it's a great meditation. He, does, he is an attractive person. I mean, he attracts thousands of people to him. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, we say, well, he was God. <laughs> Shouldn't he attract thousands of people to him? Shouldn't he have... So we can kind of go both ways. He was fully human, and so we can really put him in our own category and see that there's something unique there. There's something remarkable there. Um, 
And that's just a beautiful way to engage those truths. And let me just point out on top of that, that there, there are three who get pulled aside a little bit more, right? Peter, James, and John, they are there at the agony in the garden. He draws them closer to himself than the other eight who are there in the garden. Uh, he, you know, takes them up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're the ones who, who come in when he, he raises a little girl from the dead. They're the ones who are, you know, get, get some sort of special treatment. Um, so another way we could look at this is they're the College of Cardinals mm -hmm. amidst the 12 bishops, right, you know, of, okay. the, of the original church. And uh, so, or the, the Pope and two of the College of Cardinals, I suppose, Peter and James, Peter the Pope and James and John, the two, uh, the two Cardinals. Mm -hmm. But, but there's a, it's, it's true. Now, now there is a difference between disciples and friends, but he does say to them at the Last Supper, I call you friends because, and he gives three qualities of friendship there too, that a friend lays down his life for his friend. Uh, so there's a, a total self-giving, I'll give everything for you. A friend, he says, I have revealed everything to you. That's not how a slave is treated. That's how a friend is treated. Mm -hmm. And then he also says, um, do what I command you. So a friend trusts a friend. If I tell you to do something, you trust me. So there's a fundamental trust that's there. So he just gives those qualities of friendship, and he calls them friends. And so there's, yeah, so that's a beautiful insight that you had at Mass. Yeah, and then actually off of what you just said there about he is God, he should have everyone wanting to follow him. Well, I, I guess my thought was, but he's asking people to do things they don't want to do. Like He's asking you to have be go down a path that inherently people want to go to the easiest direction, and he's trying to, to make you go uphill a little bit here. And mm. um, you know, the, the, that message in itself can be a little challenging in that. You know, mm. it's 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 a lot easier. I mean, to to put the water analogy, to sit around and watch TV than to go out and exercise. And in a spiritual sense, that's essentially what he's asking us to do. Unless I'm missing something, but that's basically the uh, the core there. Um, but the but that was one of the things that that I thought of. And then um, then the, the, just going through the week, the, the next thought that I had um, was on it was definitely on Good Friday, but it also happens basically Palm Sunday since Good Friday is not a holy day of obligation is when you read the full passion and um, and much like you referenced before what what, what we did growing up was every Good Friday um, after uh, we would go to church um, because being a Catholic school you would have a half day they, they made you go for the beginning just to basically go to the go to the, the 10 o'clock or the noon service whatever it was and then when we came home um, we'd always watch the Passion after, obviously after it was made, um, by by Gibson, and, um, and and that's basically the thoughts that I have coming in there of, of when you're reading through it, um, because maybe it's different every year. Maybe it's different based upon if you go to the vigil or the normal Easter Mass or or whichever. Um, but the um, each of them say a couple of different qualities that they put emphasis on each of them being the gospels so i know that john puts emphasis on peter cutting the guy's ear off and one of the thoughts that came to me during that was we're already at the point where jesus knows exactly what's going to happen 
And if you actually pay attention, even though they're not the most grand and over-the-top miracles, he's doing miracles the entire way through. You know, he he puts he heals the the guy's ear that 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 Peter cuts off. He gives Veronica the image of her faith back to her. And there's probably five other ones that at the time clicked in my mind that, that I was blanking on. But the point was, he knew the outcome, and he still was giving everything he could along the way. And the thought that I had to it, this was definitely Palm Sunday, because he gave a homily during it, at, right after it, um, that the the message of the homily was the pain and the suffering didn't end on that day on that hill on Calvary every time we sin today we add to that Um, and the thought that kind of came to me was well I'm already adding to this burden enough through my faults you know is it even fair to ask for extra help above and beyond that knowing that you know we're adding to the torment throughout this process so that was again I'm pretty sure it was Palm Sunday but it's this it's the Good Friday reading that that was coming to me um, through that process well just to make a quick comment about the distinction in the passion readings Good Friday is always John's gospel okay and in Palm Sunday is either Matthew Mark or Luke depending on which in the three-year cycle we're in. So we're in cycle A this year, so it's Matthew. Next year it'll be uh, Mark, and the year after it'll be, it'll be Luke. Um, but your, uh, your, your point about piling burdens on Jesus, well, this is where we get a, a things a little bit interesting about time that we have a struggle with in our minds we're so rooted in time and god is outside of time and we can't we just really can't comprehend that but jesus bore all of the burdens of all time on the cross so he already bore my burdens on the cross i'm not adding to it he you know he already bore it Hmm. he already took everything so that's that's one thing. But the second thing is to not ask him for help is more of a burden. Our sin is in not asking him okay. rather than in asking him. He wants to help us. <laughs> he, that's, that's what he wants more than anything is to love us, to support us, to strengthen us, to help us. He wants to help us and to not ask him. You know, think about any love relationship, right? What hurts you more when, you're, when your girlfriend asks you or when she doesn't ask you? You know, when she when she suffers under the burden of trying to do something by herself, when you could help her and you'd like to do it, it's more of a burden for him if we don't ask him. He wants to help us. Well, you put it like that, that makes more sense. Because um, at first it, it, it seemed, you know, not contradictory. That's not the word. Counterintuitive. That's, I guess that that's where I was going with that there. Mm. Um, so, okay. So so, so that that that, uh, that that makes a lot more sense. Like I said, that was just one of the thoughts that I had sitting there during it that that that, that came to me there because i i, I do know it, oh. just beautiful i just want to affirm that way that you're you're entering into the liturgy that you're entering into the mysteries that you're reflecting on these things and applying them to your lives and that's guided by the holy spirit he's 
He's helping to inspire that within you. And then that goes along with your own effort and the use of your free will, not simply to daydream. I'm sure you were distracted like the rest of us at different times, but mm-hmm. uh, also to apply your will to try and go deeper into these things and see what, what comes up. And that's exactly how we can go to the same liturgies for 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, and they don't get old because these kinds of things keep opening up for us and, and it renews our, our experience of the liturgy. Yeah, certainly that that makes sense. And um, so, so coming into uh, to to another one of the random questions I had to it, and whenever they um, they being priests, they they put the the Eucharist exposed in the monstrous. This is just a general question: Why do they always wear the super big? Um, clothing that almost looks like a battle tank um you know what i mean um well so yeah let's talk about those uh those different vestments for the priests that's a typical uh, term yeah real quick yeah the uh so for the mass well beneath and the very the very bottom of everything that the priest wears an an alb and that's a white garment albus in latin means white okay so that's where the word comes from so it's a white garment, and it's essentially our baptismal garment. That's what we're clothed in at baptism is a white garment. Now the priest is, the white garment is to indicate sinlessness. The priest is not sinless. That's why he has to wear the white garment to make it appear that way. Because <laughs> okay. when he's serving liturgically, he, he's not himself. He loses himself. He, he gives up himself, his own personality in that sense, his own sins, his own failures, his own whatever, in order to become the priest, in order to be in the person of Christ in his servant. So he puts on the white garment to kind of cover up himself, as it were, so that he can be the presence of Christ. And then he wears a stole, which is a a long, uh, thin uh, piece of material that symbolizes a few different things, but it's it symbolizes priestly authority. He wears the stole different than a deacon wears a stole across. The deacon wears it across his chest. The priest wears a stole straight down, and it's just Is that a the thing symbol- that comes around your neck and comes almost looks like a really long scarf. Uh huh. Yeah, that's okay. a good thing. So really long scarf. That's a good description. Um, and that's uh, that's a symbol of authority. So he puts on that symbol of authority again as as priest. And then um, different things are over the top of that. Usually what people see is called a chasuble, and that's a big flowing garment that he wears for only for the Mass. The chasuble is the, is the vestment for the Mass. It's the, the garment of sacrifice, we could say, the offering the sacrifice of the Mass. In different liturgical settings that are not the Mass, he, he wears some other things. So, for example, uh, in... A number of things for a, a baptism or a wedding that's not a mass, a baptism that's not a mass. He can, and then also for exposition or benediction of the Blessed Sacrament, uh, he can wear something called a cope, which looks like a cape. Okay. It's a similar, it's a related word. And so it doesn't close in the front, it's just a big flowing cape. And again, it's, it sort of clothes him in glory but not with the garment of sacrifice, not with the chasuble like he wears for mass, it clothes him in glory in a different way. So it's just different that way. And then for, um, let's say for benediction, he, he'll wear another 
uh, garment around that covers up his hands. So it's a big uh, piece of cloth, almost like a, I don't know, like a half a blanket or something, or like a shawl maybe. Okay. That's probably a description. And so it's only on the top half of his of his torso, and then it comes around. It's a really long garment with uh, a lot of cloth, but it's meant to cover up his hands, and it's called a humeral veil. And humeral is related to the word humility. And what the priest does when he gives benediction is he lets Jesus do the blessing. So he takes the monstrance and he lifts it up and he makes the, the form of a cross over the people and he covers up his own hands. Now, what does the priest normally bless with? He normally blesses with his hand. And so he's covering up his blessing, as it were, and he's focusing everybody's attention not on his hands, but rather on Christ. So humbly, he is covering up his own hands, his own blessing, and he is giving the, the blessing of the of Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. Um, well, that that's that's a different thought process that I never thought of, um, but the, definitely makes sense whenever you know because you sit there and and obviously the Easter Mass has a lot of extra steps that a normal Mass doesn't. You, know, you renew the um, the baptism or the baptismal rite when you say. You know, I, I do to all the, all the pillar questions, and uh, it, there's just a lot of extra stuff to it, and that's um, you know, some of it is is he wears, you know, he changes outfits a little, not outfits, but but what, everything you just went through a little bit, and, and it's stuff that I never really uh, thought of that much, and I just thought it was you know, just questions I had popping up, <laughs> yeah. so uh, no, and and uh, just to quickly point out two different things. First of all, there are a lot of truths there that are that are unseen. So the thing, the kinds of things that I said, you know, there is a certain sacrifice. The priest, the priest is in the person of Christ. That uh, these are a lot of truths that are there. Those are realities. Now, how do we make those realities visible? And the church has found certain ways through vestments are one way, uh, through certain words, through other gestures, through uh, other sacred objects. We're trying to make invisible realities visible. Now, there's also another thing that's sort of happening that there's a, a practical element, like he's got to wear some clothes, you know. Yeah. And there, there were things like, you know, the the priest would sweat. You know, probably know some priests who sweat. And so, what does he wipe his head with? Well, that like ended up turning into a liturgical vestment called a maniple that is, sort of went out of uh, use after the Second Vatican Council. You still see it in the extraordinary form. Anyway, the so there are, there are unseen realities that we're trying to make visible. There are practical realities that we then attach to the unseen realities. You know, so the uh, some of these some of these vestments take on a certain meaning because we're always looking for what's the deeper meaning. So there's kind of two things going on there, and there's no absolute meaning or you know to any of these particular items. We can keep reflecting on on the, the unseen realities that they are making visible for us well that makes a lot of sense um i i know that you obviously there's certain parts like the homily you guys say whatever it is it is is you're ready to say that day and i remember when i was in college there was one priest because it was catholic college it was, so there was i think there was probably 40, 30 priests up there, and they just kind of rotate through the masses. And I remember there was one in particular, 
because he stood out for because he was the only one who did this. But after he'd come down to give out the communion, he would always just say "welcome," just like a simple word, like like everyone come up here now. Like you're you're welcome to come up here now, and um, it was just something that 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 always made me kind of think of that because because I know that for the most part. Um, you know, you, it, it's the mass. You, you say the same words over and over again. Um, but I, I did have a question about that, which was the homilies, and that was, how do you guys go? Like, do you have guidelines that you have to follow for them, or can you just say whatever you're feeling in the moment, even if it's maybe not exactly about something that's going on in the gospel, but maybe something that's going on in in you know your congregation from from just your observations because I, I you know I, I I've seen it priests do both ways I've seen priests basically just repeat essentially what the gospel was and this is how it applies today and I've also seen people talk more so about the elements that are around it mainly in college but it, the same concept that that there seems to be different pathways and I wanted to know if there were any you know kind of fast fast rules for that yeah that's a great question um i don't remember exactly how it's phrased but i believe that it is uh part of the so there's some some law some rules that govern the celebration of the mass or something called the general instruction on the roman missal um and in the general instruction i believe it says something like the homily must be on the scriptures or on the mysteries being celebrated, so something along those lines. So, um, or on the, yeah, this, you know, the saint of the day or anyway, I think that's sort of captured in the, in the mysteries that are being celebrated. So, so the priest really shouldn't, you know, just like do a random commentary on the news or something. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's a, there's a certain tension that has been ongoing for a long time about using the homily as an occasion for catechesis just to sort of teach on the faith and so instead of preaching about the scriptures or about the mysteries being celebrated to decide to take some random item from from the moral life for example today i'm going to preach about chastity in spite of the fact that the gospel is something completely different and chastity is not exactly what the Eucharist is about, although, anyway, so um, the the principal purpose of the homily is not catechesis, although there's an opportunity there for catechesis. So anyway, there's a little tension there that I'm not going to resolve (laughs) by asserting my own personal uh, understanding of that. So I'll, I'll allow that tension to be what it is. But um, then, then beyond that sort of prescription, um, there, there are a number of documents. There's a document put out in the 80s by the U.S. bishops called Fulfilled in Your Hearing, which is a beautiful teaching on the homily. Pope Francis gave some pretty uh, extensive teaching on the homily in his exhortation, The Joy of the Gospel. It's excellent. It's really a great teaching on, on the homily. There's another document uh, that Pope Benedict put out called Verbum Domini, the Word of God. Um, it's focusing on the on the Word, but it also includes the homily. And then more recently, there's a homiletical directory that was put out by the Vatican. So there's a lot, actually, on the homily. Um, basically, Pope Francis says the priest should 
prepare and pray with the readings. And uh, I love I love this. Here, here's a simple summary uh, of of the homily. Pope Francis says, "God is already speaking to the congregation." So God is already speaking to the congregation. The homily is that period of time that he wants the priest to give voice, to put words to that communication. Mm -hmm. And so the priest has to be tuned in enough to God and to the people to put words to what God is saying to the congregation. So that's that's a kind of mystical understanding of the homily, a prophetic understanding of the homily and um, and so the homily is also another thing that I, I try to hold on to is that the homily should help the faithful receive the Eucharist more fervently the homily should help the people in the pews to encounter Jesus as they are going to do sacramentally concretely in the Eucharist and so that's where you know some of these kind of going way astray and, and talking about things that are maybe interesting and but that aren't really focused on the readings, on the mysteries, on what's the liturgical action that's taking place. I think that there's a danger of just making the homily like its own thing and that it interrupts. It, it shouldn't interrupt the flow of the Eucharist. Like now we, we were praying, now we stopped, we listened to Father, and now we're going to start praying again. You know, <laughs> it, should be, it should be a fluid motion all the way through. I get that. And I think that the, the ones where, um, but on that note, the, I, I think that the ones where it's not just repeating what the gospel, because I mean, you just, you just listen to the gospel. You, you know what that said. You basically, at least this is my interpretation. I don't need someone to tell me what I just heard, you know, type deal. And the ones that I, I think agree. I remember the most are, um, for some reason or another, they all kind of, they all revolve around a life topic or another. By life, I mean physical life, um, because you know, you, it, it, well, it's, it, there's there's always an anti-abortion one um, that 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 you get during the March of Life, but that's because you're in D.C. and you kind of just went there for that purpose during the Mass. So so they give a very one about that. I remember one. I might have the exact story wrong, but there was this because I was in I was in grade school at the time. I think it was, it it was a girl who was on life support, and whether it was right to what what you should do there. I mean, what are even the ways to think? Because I remember it was a news story that like took over mainstream, like it it, it became big deal for a while and I think it was because the father and the mother disagreed upon what to do but that was it Um, and like that's real life stuff that's about life I mean you know we're going to to, to, I mean that's an important part of the church and I I get what you're saying that that you want to keep it in line and flow I just don't get why there's not I mean, that's your opportunity with everyone sitting there. And, I mean, realistically, the vast majority of people don't put the extra effort in beyond the hour at church. And it just it always made me wonder why it wasn't more of the teaching side of, you know, th- this is practical real life in your day. Yes, this is how Jesus did it 
back in the day of sandals, but here we are in in the day of you know modern with Twitter. You know how do you? It's a little bit different. So so that that that's one of the things I just didn't get. But apparently it, it's because there's a rule book behind there. That was, well, and there, there should be. Uh, it's true that the priest should be applying the teaching of the, of the church and the gospel to the modern day. So that's that's certainly correct. It's just not simply teaching. And uh, it's uh, people often have this this, uh, you know, imagination that like, oh, I'd like to be a priest, and then I could say all these things to all these people that they need to hear. Well, the thing is, people hear what they want to hear. And, yeah. and the idea that I have this like completely docile congregation who's just coming there to eat from my hand, you know, and everything that I tell them, they're just, oh, they're just going to think that's this wonderful thing. Um, people come with a lot of disinterest and a lot of uh, whatever. So helping them, ultimately, Jesus is the teacher. And my, my most important task is to introduce them to Jesus and keep helping them to connect with him. And so I may do some teaching as part of that. I do plenty of teaching in my homilies, but that's not the primary thing I'm doing. I'm primarily introducing them to Jesus. Well, Father, I, I certainly would like to thank you for answering all of our um, all of my random thoughts that I had over the span of Holy Week. And I know that that might not have been the most concise or, or flowing out podcast we've ever done, but I, I definitely would appreciate you you bringing the insight there and being able to. Uh, to, to answer some of these questions that come in my head. And, um, and I'd like to thank all the audience out there for listening. And, you know, as always, please continue to tell a friend and, and be able to subscribe and, and getting this to keep growing as, as, you know, we can't really do it without you guys out there. So thank you very much for listening. Hope that you enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you next week.